This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me tonight in his TOS Command Gold uniform is my co-host from Texas, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, is it is it common in Texas to actually wear Command Gold tunics around? Well, I just wear it to work, and I feel like it really gives me a lot of respect um, what they don't know is that they're actually just some pajamas and, um, but everybody looks at me, uh, with an, a sign of, of awe and wonder as I walk down the street. Yeah. Exactly. Well, a lot of respects. Yeah. Chris, um, I think, I think respect is the word that you would take away from a man wearing command colored gold pajamas to work. <laughs> um, Actually, what it is, Chris, is, is that, uh, we, I was at a wedding, uh, over, um, New Year's and, uh, the rehearsal dinner that the couple had a really fun idea. Why don't we do pajamas just so everybody can just be relaxed and have a great time? So I bought these from Think Geek and I got home after running tonight and took a shower and everything and thought, you know what? I'm going to throw on the command pajamas. That's right. I'm going to do it upright. Well, it's a perfect choice for what we're going to talk about in the future since we're doing TOS Comics, joined by Drew Stewart. It is true. I thought about that as well, and I thought, man, not only are they comfortable and stylish, but they fit what we're going to be talking about. So it's a win-win-win, as Michael Scott would say. (laughs) That's what she said. That's also what Michael Scott would say. (laughs) TWSS. Yeah. Which which I'm surprised was not a line in the comics that we're going to talk about. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. No kidding. But uh... All right. Well, before we do that, let's jump into our news, our book news here. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, of stuff going on. Uh, several new titles have been listed. And in some cases, we're actually l- learning the titles of books that we knew were coming, but we didn't yet know what the title was. And the first one is from our friend Una McCormick, and it's her upcoming DS9 novel. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, I had seen this on Twitter the other day. Uh, the Trek Collective uh, was having a conversation with uh, Una about whether or not her book had been changed because it had been listed as TNG Home Again. And um, and it's been changed to DS9, The Missing. And this will be the book um, that's set after the fall. Beverly Crusher is the doctor there right now at DS9. And so it'll be featuring, obviously, some of the uh, Enterprise characters. Uh, and, I mean, 
Enterprise E characters, as well as DS9 characters. And so that's very exciting. And this will be coming out in January. But actually, uh, it'll be coming out in December. It usually means the very end of December. Right, end of December, yeah. So instead of a next generation novel, this is going to be printed under the Deep Space Nine heading. It It is going to be, yes, to, under the Deep Space Nine name. So this is the first DS9 proper novel that we've gotten in a long this time. This is the first DS9 novel, I believe, since um, Never Ending Sacrifice, mm-hmm. which uh, it's either not. that or Soul Key. So yeah. a very long time ago. Um, so this is very exciting that uh, we are going to be getting more Deep Space Nine. Um, Hopefully it is a revival of the line of, of actual Deep Space Nine novels. I hope so. Um, and I mean, they're going to have some things to do because it's going to be really interesting. The question becomes, what do you do with Cisco and the Robinson? And how do you not have that be part of Deep Space Nine and, and create another series to follow? Um, I, I just don't see that happening. So they're going to have to find a way. I, I'm surprised they just haven't made Cisco an admiral um, to be on DS9. Uh, and, and so that's what I would have done a long time ago. I would have made him an admiral because he's already proven himself to be capable of those kind of decisions uh, all throughout the Dominion War. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I, I trust, especially Una. I love her writing. and I'm very excited to have her writing Deep Space Nine. And, of course, my favorite, Dr. Beverly Crusher. So Definitely. Chris, I was really excited to see this. Greg Cox, they, they announced uh, the... The TOS movie era novel he's going to be doing. And, um, we don't really know much, but he did give it a title and it's called Foul Deeds Will Rise. If that's not an epic title, I'm not really sure what it is. Makes me wonder, is it a, is it a Garrick Kirk crossover novel? Because Garrick, you know, I can see some foul deeds right there. Yeah, that sounds really scary, actually. <laughs> I'd be worried for the galaxy's safety. Well, after Greg Cox's book, we also have uh, another DS9 novel, but this is the one, this is the e-book novella that we had heard about when we had Margaret Clark on, right? This is Paula Young Block and Terry J. Erdman's book, Lust's Latinum Lost and Found. Which, uh, as we all know, is going to be focused on Quirk trying to get the next version of Vulcan Love Slave. Right. I mean, if that doesn't sound like a great book, I don't really know what is. Um, I'm excited to see Terry and, and Paula writing this book together. Obviously doing such a fantastic, phenomenal job on the Deep Space Nine Companion, which I consistently use when we are working on the Orb, Chris. I still love that book. Um, it's quite beat up these days because I have it out all the time. And I drop it every once in a while, but um, yeah, really excited to be getting this this novel. I think it's going to be pretty funny. It sounds like a really fun story, and I'm glad that it's a novella, and they can just really focus on the core of the story here. The, the, the it sounds like the perfect format for this particular story. Definitely, yeah. So so that's what's coming up uh, again. Trek Collective has a lot of information there. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can click through and, and read a little bit more. But it's great to see that these have been added to Amazon's listings, and uh, you can go and you know start pre-ordering some stuff if you'd like to. Uh, I, I've been doing that. I never thought I would pre-order eBooks, Matthew, but I actually have been pre-ordering some eBooks because it's nice that if you know you're going to want it, it's nice to just go ahead and grab it and then it just shows up one day on your iPad. 
yeah, I've been doing the same thing and I really like it. Um, you know, it, it will just show up. In fact, if you do it, uh, I've been ordering from, um, the iBook store because I really like the way it shows up and it works on my computer and mm-hmm. it works great for same doing here. the show here. Yeah. And, uh, what's really neat is that it'll usually show up a day early, like, during the evening. So if uh-huh. I happen to be up a little bit late, I can actually get the book a little bit early, which is a lot of fun. So yeah, I really do like it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great way to read books in it and I really enjoy it. So. Well, the next item here, Matthew, this one I was so excited about when I saw that it came out. In fact, I was so happy to see it that we talked about it on the ready room this week as well. You know, we haven't really talked about books and comics on the ready room very much since we launched this show, since we do have a really dedicated place for that here. But IDW is working together with Harlan Ellison to bring the original script for The City on the Edge of Forever to us as a five-part comic miniseries. Yeah, Chris, this is going to be a big deal, and they're making a big deal out of it. Um, one, uh, they are going to do special cover art by Juan Ortiz, uh, as well as variant covers by Paul Shipper, who did the comic covers for the Con series, which were so fantastic. And the uh, interior is going to be done by J.K. Woodward, who had done the interiors to the TNG Doctor Who crossover, which was so well received. So they are really pulling out all the stops artwork-wise to match um, Harlan Ellison's original script for City on the Edge of Forever, which was, we all know is consistently ranked the best, if not one of the top five episodes of TOS. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, I, I really love the Juan Ortiz cover that they have shown here. And I'm I'm not a huge fan of all of the TOS posters that Juan Ortiz has been doing. Some of them have been really great and some of them I've kind of scratched my head and thought like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get this. But what what they've done here for this cover looks really fantastic. It has that vintage feel to it. It feels like it captures the story very well. And it's one of those things where, like, I mean, it's Star Trek, but more importantly, it, it's, it feels that this is something that was written by Harlan Ellison that got turned into a Star Trek episode, but particularly here is the original Harlan Ellison vision of it, not necessarily what we saw on the screen. Whereas the other cover, the Paul Shipper cover, that really feels like, hey, this is that original series episode that you remember. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to, to see both. I and mean, hopefully the digital version will actually have both copies uh, oh, of yeah. the cover available. And so what's interesting they too is that doing that recently for some reason, though, you notice? Yeah, they, they have. Um, they don't give us all the covers anymore, but I feel like that, um, with, with this special setup that they may do that. And, uh, when I thought yeah. when I saw the, the Juan Ortiz cover, was just so interesting is that um, it really looks like one of those old dime store novels, actually, mm-hmm. right. uh, like an old dime store uh, science fiction novel. So yeah. I really do actually like this cover. I think it's it's pretty awesome. And so it definitely gets my stamp of approval for sufficiently exciting cover. <laughs> I'm working on that sound effect. I told you on Twitter yesterday, it takes time. <laughs> To properly craft that sound effect. So I'm working we'll on get that. it in there one day and everybody's going to love it. 
so, so for those who don't know, and I have a feeling that, you know, a lot of people listening to this show are probably very familiar with, with Harlan Ellison and his work and what happened here, but there was a lot of controversy. And despite the fact that the city on the edge of forever is considered one of the greatest Star Trek episodes of all time and one of the greatest television episodes of all time, there was a lot of headbutting between Ellison and Roddenberry on this. And some of the points were, they involved the character of Edith Keeler and Harlan Ellison envisioned her more as kind of a hippie where she had hippie philosophies, but it was a little bit more, more vague. And then for the episode, she really is this anti-war figure who has some strong influence over the course of history. And Harlan Ellison was, had very strong anti-war views and the way the episode was changed does shed a, it, it gives you a perspective that could be interpreted as being very critical of the anti-war movement of the time. And that runs, it's contradictory to, to what Ellison had established in a lot of his other writing. And so that was, that was a point of, of friction there. And then also with Scotty, you know, Scotty was actually dealing drugs in one of the original scripts and, and that was not there. And so th- there were these issues and what got produced as wonderful as it was, it was not Harlan Ellison's original vision. And there was just a long, long running animosity between Harlan Ellison and Gene Roddenberry uh, to the point where Harlan Ellison actually filed a lawsuit against CBS and Paramount Television and wanted 25% of the net receipts from merchandising and publishing and all this stuff. And so it just, it, it, it really got ugly. And so that's sort of the back history, and that's why it's a big deal that IDW is actually going to be bringing us a comic series that that gives us the original story. Yeah, so this should be really cool, Chris, to to be able to read to finally get it out there. I mean, you can finally have his his version of what he wanted to see. Uh, it'll it'll be out there for the fans. It, it's interesting to me that. Um, Star Wars actually did this recently with the original script from Star Wars. They put it uh, in a comic form called The Star Wars, and there's a lot of differences there. Is that the one that has Jar Jar's son in it? <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is it is quite different from from yeah. what you got in the in the Star Wars film. Um, so it, it's interesting to see. A lot of um, comic companies going back and, and using uh, original scripts to create just a, an alternate history, basically, uh, of famous things like uh, this episode of Star Trek, which is so ridiculously famous, and uh, something like Star Wars uh, in its original script. And so I'm excited to get this. It is going to be a huge event. IDW is going to be pushing this very, very hard. Uh, and so I'll be very excited to get a chance to read it and then review it. Same here. And then, Chris, the last thing I wanted to get a chance to do here in the news was just promote uh, a great website that I just found when one of our listeners, Ryan Williams, uh, he's been on the Trek BBS site. He has a fantastic website um, called the Star Trek Lit Verse Reading Guide. And so it's just another fantastic resource for those of you who like to read things chronologically, who like to try and keep things uh, in a timeline. He's got a lot of great reading lists there. Um, he's got some great timelines for you 
for uh, reading the lit as well. And so this will be in the show notes uh, for everyone. But yeah, just go over there, check it out. I don't think you'll be um, sad if you do. It's a good website. It's very clean, very neat. And it's, it's a great way, another great way to keep track as you're working your way through any of the different series um, mm-hmm. for Star Trek Lit or, say, just the 24th century. You know, in, in fact, I've been doing a read-through of the key novels after Nemesis that lead into the various series that we've been getting in the past few years. And actually, Ryan's site is the site that I've been using for my own reading here. I've been using the... He has on there called Simple Post-Nemesis Reading List. And it's a very nice little, uh, it, it's chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, takes you through. Uh, chapter five is the fall plus absent enemies. Chapter one starts with death and winter. And it's a really, I love the flow chart we talked about last week, but um, I've actually been using Ryan's site now for quite a few months as I go through. So definitely I recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So I'm really glad, um, that he made me aware of it because I hadn't seen it. And I'm glad to make all the listeners aware of it as well. Definitely, definitely great stuff. All right, well, those are all the news items. We do have one last thing that we're going to do in the news segment today, Matthew, and this is a quick little review of ongoing number 31, I Enterprise, part one of two. So spoiler alert, everyone. We may touch on a few of the key story elements here. So if you haven't read it and you don't want to be spoiled at all, you might want to read it before you listen to this little section. Uh, We're not going to go too in-depth on it, though. I I was pleasantly surprised after the Parallel Lives series, Matthew. What did you think about it? Yeah, Chris, uh, I was too. One, I think everybody who saw Into Darkness kind of wondered who this person was behind this station and apparently this is science officer 0718 uh and he's the guy with this very strange eyes and looks like he has a weird like digital clock in the back of his head and he's bald Mm -hmm. and everybody kind of wondered you know who this was and where he had come from and so now i did know his name because of the star trek rivals card game ah yes yes star trek rivals uh you still playing star trek rivals chris no, I stopped playing after, and they've changed it now recently, but I haven't gone back to play. But I stopped I stopped playing after they made it possible for you to beam your opponent's card to another spot on the final move. And so it, it you know, I had a strong deck and I would still lose every time because all my games, my opponent had the last move. So, no. Ah, I gotcha. But I did know the names of these characters. It's kind of like buying Star Wars action figures where you found out the names of all these characters that you saw on screen. And so we get to find out about Science Officer 0718 here in this comic. Well, and so we learned from this comic, one, is that he really is linked with the Enterprise. Like mm-hmm. he is a part of the Enterprise itself um, and in the way that it functions and, and how well it, it runs. And so explaining where this character comes from. And so uh, what's great is that this actually takes place a, a few months before uh, the events of Star Trek Into Darkness, most of the comic. It's a flashback, and they reach this really cool planet that is a perfect sphere in space. And, of course, you know, Kirk and Spock being very curious, they they beam down and take a lot of, of readings of this, and then they realize that... that 
they feel like this planet basically is is alive. And Kirk actually, this is what which got me, Chris. You know, I don't really know Kirk to be somebody who immediately wants to beam back to the ship. But wisely, Kirk thinks immediately, okay, we got to get out of here. I don't know what this is, but if it's a live planet, uh, something weird is going on, we probably shouldn't stay around. So I was like, wow, this, this, this Kirk is learning a lot real quickly. Um, not really something I would have expected this Kirk to do, which was, you know, beam off as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, I started to say it's part of that transformation of, the Abrams verse Kirk into a, a Kirk that we're more familiar with. But like you said, this takes place before Into Darkness. So it is a little bit out of character for him, isn't it? Yeah, it did seem like it. But at the same time, you know, if I was standing on a planetoid that was a perfect sphere that had this kind of mirror-like surface um, and it seemed to be alive and the readings kept getting all screwed up on the tricorder and Things were going off. Yeah, I would have definitely been back to the ship as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what what's uh, really interesting? I mean, it is a pretty simple story, but um, I, what I like is that they get back to the ship, and the ship starts experiencing some weird things happening. Um, and Spock can't figure it out. Chekhov can't figure it out. Um, Scotty can't figure it out either. I love that Scotty is in the engine room and he says, you gotta be kidding me. That's it then. Even with the whack upside the mainframe, it's helping. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Like his last resort is just to smack it. Like, you know, you would do with a computer back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. Or like Miles does on DS9 when he just kicks the consoles and it starts working. Exactly. So that was really funny. Um, you know what this reminded me of? This week on The Ready Room, we did Emergence, the TNG episode where the Enterprise starts coming to life and actually starts using the ship's systems to create a life form. That's what the, from not the very beginning of this comic, but for much of this comic, it felt very much like that story. Weird stuff yeah, is going exactly. on. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I mean, red alert goes off. the The ship starts to separate, um, mm-hmm. and and then as they're losing power, you know, um, Scotty's worried that if both uh, ships are separated and um, the the drive section doesn't have power, that they'll lose both ships. They'll just be floating in space. Um, and then, luckily, it all comes back together. But not before Scotty gets shocked and they go into um, sick bay and then one of the surgical bays locks itself down, powers up a regeneration unit on its own and then starts pumping, it says, synthetic tissue and carbon filaments into an empty unit. Uh, and that's when we end up with the creation that we have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from whatever downloaded into Spock's tricorder is now being downloaded and created into an actual being yeah which is crazy awesome i think well this also reminded me of emergence because in emergence the enterprise is using the replicators and the transporters to to build that physical object which is a life form in the cargo bay and so it's kind of similar to what it's doing here but this has a different twist in that it's creating an actual humanoid body 
that climbs out of the chamber. And thankfully, there is a wisp of smoke or something drifting across the crotch of this being. So we don't actually have to see, as you called it, on the inter- on the other side of the page. The the uh, the Enterprise's uh, nacelles. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think you called yeah. it the Enterprise's junk, right? <laughs> yeah, we we did not get to see the Enterprise's junk. Thank thank goodness. <laughs> Um, but what was crazy is, I love this, it, it says, you know, greetings, Captain, uh, mm-hmm. Commander Spock, Dr. McCoy, and Kirk asks, who are you? And he says, I am the Enterprise. And so I'm really excited to see, uh, honestly, the second issue, because I feel like this is, is a great setup issue for what's coming next. Yeah. So I feel like with this one, it's the opposite of the last series, the two-part Parallel Lives. That one, the cover was really intriguing and the idea was really intriguing. And then the comics themselves were a complete letdown and you didn't feel like they paid off at all, the potential of the story. Whereas this one, when you hear the concept of it, the Enterprise becomes sentient. And you look at the covers and you're thinking like, okay, this sounds like it's going to be a rehash of the idea that the Enterprise itself just kind of takes over the ship systems, but it's still the ship, right? And then when you get to the end, though, the way that they ended it here with actually having this humanoid form created by the ship that comes out, it was an unexpected twist for me. I didn't think that that's what they were going to do in the story. And it actually makes me really, really interested to find out what happens in part two. And more importantly for me with this is that this this issue is story-driven from the very beginning. All the way through, there is a story going on right here and and a mystery. And it's, it is very refreshing after Parallel Lives. Yeah, that is the one thing that I really liked about this. You know, they're, they're doing the backstory of this character. We've seen them do backstories before. Um, some of them were better than others, uh, Chris. And this one, I I thought it was just very interesting and it, a great sci-fi idea and everything like that. So um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I look forward to um, next month's uh, next issue of and the conclusion of I Enterprise. I think this is a strong uh, start and hopefully the, the finish will be just as strong as well. So what's your rating for this comic? Oh, goodness. I, I think I'm going to give this um, seven and a half out of ten saucer separations. Oh, excellent. I think I'm going to give it eight artificial planets. Excellent. That's a good rating. Yeah. Especially those kind of planets. It's there. Yeah. I, w- I was going to give it... Um, I was going to give it eight Zara haircuts again, but we've done that before. <laughs> eight Enterprise junks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. All right. So we'll look forward to ongoing number 32 when it comes out. And that's all we have in news today. Before we jump into the feature and we talk to Drew about these really crazy TOS comics that are a sequel to the Apple 
We'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks you'll find online. Over 150,000 books are available right now, and they're adding new titles every week. They add hundreds of new titles every week. And what we like to do is to recommend a book for you, because as a Trek Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. So we'd like to make a recommendation. And the book I want to recommend today is one I have recommended in the past, but because we talked about Harlan Ellison and the the creative differences involving the city on the edge of forever, William Shatner wrote a book called Star Trek Memories, which was all about the making of the television series and his experiences on there. And it's a really great look at what went on behind the scenes to get the TV show made and the the types of issues surrounding the scripts and the changes to the scripts are covered quite extensively in this book. And the audible version is narrated by William Shatner himself, which makes it all the better. And if you haven't already read this book, and even if you've read the printed book, I still recommend that you get the audio version just to hear Shatner talk about the, the series. Matthew, have you ever had a chance to read either Star Trek Memories or Movie Memories? I've actually read both, Chris. Uh, I really enjoyed both. Uh, you know, Shatner does a great job of, of chronicling his time on Star Trek in, in both eras. Um, and, and honestly, it's so complimentary to everyone involved. Um, you know, uh, you know, Shatner does get a bad rap from, from some of the other actors involved in Star Trek, but He's never taken part in that, um, at least publicly denouncing any of them. And in in any place, he's he's always been nothing but complimentary and um, kind to his other actors involved in Star Trek. And so um, getting to to kind of hear it from his point of view and what it was like and, and the difficulties involved, especially in TOS and then the films as well. Uh, in some places, uh, fascinating. And so actually getting to hear him read uh, the book it would be all the better. It, it, it's really fantastic hearing it in his voice. And as a Trek Film listener, you can get this book absolutely free just for trying Audible. And the way you do that is you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up and then just choose Star Trek Memories. Or if you're more interested in the movies, choose Star Trek Movie Memories, or you can choose any other book that you want, and it's absolutely free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that audiobook. So there's absolutely nothing to lose. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. So go try it today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of literary treks. Chris, we have something really fun in store, I think, for uh, the listeners tonight. Uh, recently, you guys on the Ready Room did the episode The Apple, the classic, the Star Trek episode The Apple, where Kirk decides to destroy an entire civilization because he doesn't agree that they don't have free will. Oh, oh, and by the way, he's going to introduce them to sex as well. So, uh, you found some great follow-up comics from DC, and we are talking a really long time ago. This is 1987. This is right before The Next Generation had premiered. And this comic, this three-part comic series came out and was a follow-up to that episode. And so we're actually going to be joined tonight by our one of our TOS editor and one of the hosts there on Standard Orbit, Drew Stewart. Landrew, it's great to have you on Literary Treks. 
Well, thank you. I've I've not been I've not been privy to to literary tricks before, so uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, show my literacy. Well, I'm glad <laughs> that you can read. I mean, that's that's a first step in in being yeah. on the show, and so. <laughs> and I'm glad that we picked some really fantastic material here for you to demonstrate your literacy. On. I feel I feel so much smarter having read these comics. Uh, you things. should. I, and, and Chris, I'm wondering if if um, we'll ever have Drew back the same way we've never had Tristan back. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Avalon Rising. Avalon Rising, Avalon yes. Rising. Uh, it was, yeah. Avalon Rising, yeah. That was a fantastic, oh man, best comic <laughs> ever. If you've not read it, folks. Holographic Doctor Riding yes, Horseback. Um, it was fantastic. So, well, okay. <laughs> so this, uh, this comic series is a three-part series here, and it follows the adventures of, of Kirk and the Enterprise in the movie era, and it's about 20 years past this episode, and they are visiting this planet again to see What's happening? I thought it was really interesting because, um, you know, Kirk is doing his whole captain's log as they are over the planet. And he says, you know, now 20 years later, on behalf of the United Federation of Planets, they're going to see this planet. And he says, uh, it talks about how it was a venerable Eden in space until I interfered. And wait a minute. I'm confused, Matthew. I'm confused. Are you saying that's Kirk recording the captain? I thought that was Lieutenant Carey from Voyager. Lieutenant Carey, oh. That's who he I- looks like. <laughs> he does look exactly <laughs> like Lieutenant Carey. I don't know what they were thinking with the, yeah, the I've- <laughs> artists here for Kirk. Uh, in fact, just about everybody looks off for most of the comic, but oh my gosh. There, there's a couple panels later where Scotty just looks like Santa Claus, and I don't understand. <laughs> right. it, yeah, I don't get it. I've never, I mean, this is why, this is the era everybody was like, oh, you need to be reading comics and stuff. And I'm like, I can't tell what's going on or who's talking. And these are characters I'm supposed to know. And I only recognize Spock as his <laughs> black hair. Uh, well, and pointy ears. That is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets very, very confusing. And in fact, this guy, Makora, the the leader of the tribe opposite Akuta here, on the planet looks just like this guy who calls himself Tarzan in the season of Survivor that we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that season. Man, y'all are really far behind in Survivor. <laughs> oh gosh. So I don't I don't understand why these people aren't orange. Um that's I mean, a great question. Think that's something later. that the comics would get right is these guys are a primary color. They're giant Oompa Loompas. <laughs> And they're just like, no, that's silly. We'll have them fight a dinosaur as soon as they beam exactly. down. Exactly. I was just about to say that. So they beam down to this planet, and, and it's completely different. There's there's nothing that's the same. I mean, it's definitely not at Eden anymore. It looks kind of like a wasteland, a nuclear holocaust wasteland almost. And what should happen but out of this huge <laughs> castle-like building comes a rancor? I mean, a dinosaur. Um, <laughs> it just feels like a Star Wars but this episode. Dinosaur, this dinosaur is hilarious because its head is more like a human-shaped head, <laughs> right? It's got like the big lobe in the back. And he's got these huge And it's scales, smiling. And he, it's like, a, like, okay, listeners, it looks like a T-Rex, but it looks like more like Rex from Toy Story has been inserted into this panel, but his head is not a T-Rex shape. It is more like a human lizard 
hybrid. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad for our audience here. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> well, if we should before we get too far, we need to talk about the the new characters that are that have joined the Enterprise crew in the comics. We've got Conum, who's who's a Klingon, uh, who who's in Starfleet under Kirk, and Kirk's totally fine with it. But a, uh, well, it's because know. he doesn't act anything at all like a Klingon. It, exactly, he might be the wussiest Klingon to ever have existed. I mean, he makes Alexander look like a Dahar master. <laughs> Well, there's also a character here in the landing party, a, a woman named Nancy. And Matthew, I believe you said on the other side of the page that you thought that was the name of the Klingon for a while, right? I, I did. I, I got them mixed up. I couldn't believe that this Klingon wasn't named Nancy because talk about a ninny. I mean, <laughs> goodness. Every time something happens, he just runs away. Run away! Run away! I mean, this this comic feels more like an episode of... Um, flying circus from Monty Python than it does a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Um, and so and it, at least this first one does. Now, now I will say the, the next two it, it does down. settle down yeah. and the storyline actually gets a ton better as we get on. But this first comic is just insanely ridiculous. Um, so they yeah, get... It's, it's obviously... Yeah there for the kiddos like oh look there's captain kirk shooting in a dinosaur i love how on <laughs> the next big scene where you see kirk up close he has red hair um and so it, <laughs> right. it looks even more like lieutenant carrie than you never possible maybe huh. maybe like somehow they're related oh, i don't want to think about that like it certainly looks that You know, way. that's like his long lost, you know, grandchild or nephew had a, you know, something that maybe they're related somehow. I don't know. So they all shoot the dinosaur and then they look back and they the Klingon. They to shoot the dinosaur. And then the Klingon's like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to shoot him. I can't. If I do it, then I'll turn into one of those Klingons that I don't like. You mean one of the Klingons that's helpful? <laughs> <laughs> And then he holds his phaser up in the air, hopefully pointing it at the dinosaur, but yeah. I don't I don't really know. And then he has his hand on his head and he's like, My God, forgive me <laughs> for firing a phaser. You're in Starfleet. Come yeah. on. So one it, <laughs> And I which mean, God is yeah. he talking to? Are you to? talking to Kalis? Are you I mean, who are you talking to? <laughs> the other thing I don't get is like what? Why couldn't you just shoot the dinosaur? He's going to hit the invisible swordsman, and then they're not going to be able to get to uh, where they need to go. Come on, guys. Three amigos. Right. Three amigos. Yes. No, I saw okay. it. I just... Anyway, so right. the dinosaur finally disappears. The Klingon is having a, a really hard time with this. I mean, he feels really bad for having to shoot the imaginary dinosaur that turned out to be. And then... Yeah, it turns out that it's imaginary. Right, it's which... Like, wait, what? It was crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Which they totally never explain. They do not. Uh, Lieutenant Carey... Because yeah, it never comes back, right? It's right. it's It's like a holodeck opening or it something really is. to... An episode that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. So, so, uh, out, running out of the castle come all of these people and they all gasp because, um, they can't believe who it is. 
And they all start bowing down and worshiping Kirk, which, I mean, he's pretty used to. Um, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, and then, uh, who should show up, but from the original episode, Makora shows up and, uh, tells Kirk, you know, what's been going on and, and, uh, you know, why everything is different. Um, obviously too, Makora has been doing really well and, he must have taken, I, I feel like, I feel like this is what happened, you know, in the original a series episode, a piece of the action, you know, that society bases their life on that book about Chicago mobs. So what happened here is that Kirk had left his Kirk's Guide to Women and McCora had gotten a hold of that <laughs> yeah. and figured out how to create a society based around Kirk's Guide to Women. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Chekhov here is talking about what's going on around him, and he makes the comment, he does seem to be doing pretty good for himself with the ladies. And because Makora here, he's got like three or four women around him who apparently are his wives, and all these kids around him are apparently all his kids as well. Yeah, he he definitely took Kirk's advice to heart. Well, and and what's so... You know, loving is awesome and they're like he's like okay all right uh what's what's awesome is is you know he tells them about how uh mccora tells him about how you know he he uh started getting all the hot women basically and and having a lot of children and bone says jim i hate to interrupt when it sounds like you're being thanked for inventing sex <laughs> which exactly. is yeah. just hysterical <laughs> I love that one. Oh my I, god! I, I, I had to tweet that image. It's I especially like uh, the next line, but I think you should take a look over there. And Kirk says, "Oh no, oh, man!" It's and I like right before Bones makes that comment. I like that Makora explains. Yes, we have learned much from your examples, Kirk. The children and the methods we use to summon them <laughs> were perhaps your greatest blessing. So, yeah, apparently Kirk had had had, had lent them some of his his um, special reading material or something. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I didn't I didn't think that him and Rand were giving them you know advice or you know uh, an actual demonstration. Seminars. Yeah, like, right. the, I mean, if, if it had the been other, the next generation, Jordy would have put out a PowerPoint, you know, but then why would Jordy <laughs> do it? How you because summon Jordy, yeah, Riker would have just taught him how to, you know, step over a chair and talk to a lady. No, no. And, I, I think, Matthew, it would have been Beverly doing the PowerPoint and teaching Jordy how to summon children. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> no, Jordy, that's not how it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say Beverly was going to do the PowerPoint and then Riker would do the demonstration. (laughs) (laughs) So what's they, they, they are looking at this huge mural on the wall that um, has, has kind of created uh, been created here about how Kirk had come and basically bestowed on them these new ways. They had get, gotten rid of Vol, um, and they kind of worship or look at Kirk and, and the Enterprise crew now as, as gods, which is, is, is a little bit interesting. This is, this is where the story does set itself up to be more interesting in the next two issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they get attacked by the Volite, who are still very much um, followers of, of Vol, even though he's he's not active. 
and the uh, Macala tells them that um, he's going to have them for a feast at dinner, and he's going to tell them all about what's happened. And he asked them to bring their goddess with them, which he's looking at Nancy, mm-hmm. which I'm glad he wasn't looking at the Klingon, because that would have been awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so they have dinner, and lo and behold, they've been drugged, because McCullough's huge plan is to take the goddess Nancy and kill everybody else that he doesn't need, and... um. Because if he can kill gods, he's totally better than gods, and everybody should love him more. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. The only one who isn't affected by this is the Klingon, and then he runs off like a pansy because he's yeah. scared. <laughs> oh, good. The Klingon's not affected. He literally just... He, he dives says, no. out a window. And he dives out the window. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's insane. Um, so... Of course, then... What message do you think the writers are trying to send about Klingons as we're moving from the TOS era to the Next Generation era with this comic? They've been neutered? Well, really, They at this point, they only had, you know, Mark Leonard and Christopher Lloyd as the only Klingons they'd seen recently in... In yeah, but Christopher era. Lloyd was a badass. I mean, he was like willing to kill right. anyone. And this guy's desperately I mean, trying not to be yeah, Christopher Lloyd. I guess. Uh man, that's too bad. So uh it's really funny because, you know, up on the ship they're worried and uh Ensign Bearclaw, our uh racist Native American, uh is really yes, itching for a fight. I mean, he is ready to kick some ass. <laughs> apparently, the comic writers didn't want to put. I mean, and it's good that they, you know, maybe for continuity's sake, they didn't want to make, didn't want the infighting between all of the the major characters. But so they introduced characters to to bring the drama. Sure, you know, but right. a, a racist Native American who's always just like quest second guessing the captain. And calling him Jim at one point, it's like, wait a minute, yeah, you're no, an, this guy would not last yeah, long. You're an instant, Well, Matthew, you, you remember from when we did some of the past TOS classics that IDW has redone, Bear Claw was getting into fights in the corridor of the ship there as well. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> got a temper problem, so um, <clears throat> the Klingon realizes that he should not run away he he should go back and he should have fought makora and he kind of turns around and he's going to try and make his way back um next thing we know we're in a harem which i mean uh makora definitely has followed the kirk mold and (laughs) he is um well let's just say nancy has a brand new outfit and uh which is very TOS it is Take very the only TOS-y. woman and get her out of uniform exactly. as soon as we can exactly Makora has also decided that he's going to challenge somebody from the team and by being able to kill a god he'd be obviously the big kahuna on this planet forever so he's decided I'm not going to choose Kirk because Kirk would beat me probably I'll choose McCoy <laughs> he'll be the one whose ass I'll kick <laughs> which i feel really bad you know mccoy's thrown into this big arena with well he's riding he's a riding a dinosaur and mccoy actually makes that same comment he says 
Can't figure out why you guys picked me for this little tussle. Kirk's usually the one who does all the fighting for us. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> which is really cool because, you know, he gets his shirt ripped and everything and the lady swoon and it works out really well for everyone. Um, so as he's doing that, um, Spock and Kirk and, uh, Chekhov or are escaping because for some reason Spock, I guess, is really good with one hand being able to untie himself. I it seems that yeah, I think he I mean, breaks it with his Vulcan strength. Vulcan strength. Okay, okay, that makes sense at okay. least. That makes more sense, yeah. So they escape and Kirk and Spock and Chekhov are making their way to the arena when they run into Conum, the Klingon, the pansy, who is being followed around <laughs> by a bunch of um other Oh, and I guess whose followers? The Vol yeah, worshippers. The, the, the Vol worshippers. And so they have joined forces because they don't like Makala and his people. And so they're all going to help Kirk and Chekhov and Spock take back what's theirs. And so Kirk's able to get a communicator finally. He's able to call the Enterprise. They're able to check in. And they go off and, and go to save Bones, who is just about to joust which is kind of interesting that they know what jousting is on this planet <laughs> on a very strange blue Apparently monster. That was in Kirk's book. Yeah, it was on. Yeah, it's on. It's how to win a woman. You know, sometimes you okay. have to be really chivalrous. You see, Kirk had been reading Avalon Rising and it's all about chivalry <laughs> and all of that. So, yeah. Okay. I, I was, I was wondering why there would be a section about jousting in Kirk's Guide to Women. <laughs> You mean controlling a really long, (laughs) pointy object? (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're just going to leave that alone. Um, So, Bones gets beamed up, beast in all that he's riding, and they disappear. (laughs) So, they all, all the people go, oh, they are gods. They just disappeared, and all hell breaks loose. Nancy doesn't know what to do. Finally, Conum comes in, swoops in, which it's not even possible physically, uh, the physics of the way he's swooping in, but he swoops in anyway. He grabs her up and takes her off. Apparently, she likes him at least. Like, there's some kind of relationship. Oh, wow. They've got a thing going on. Apparently, she likes really wussy Klingons. That's her thing. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, they they are apparently a couple. About this beaming up thing here, though. Now, this beast that McCoy's riding has got to be twenty times larger than McCoy. It's, yes. it's huge. It's, yeah. And yet they beam, so they can't separate the human life sign from this beast and just beam up McCoy. And also, this thing material materializes on the transporter pad. And what happened? Did McCoy become tiny? How does this this thing fit? Apparently, that was no, the cargo I, I transporter. It, Let's hope that that's was that's exactly what I was <laughs> yeah. thinking. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, that's got to be it. I mean, if you look at the drawing, it doesn't look like any transporter room that I've seen. And then later in this in the series, uh, there's like thirty people standing on it. I think it's like a mass person transport. Well, you know that Bones, who already hates transporters as it is, is loving being sent through the cargo transporter. 
Oh yeah. yeah. I would have hated to have like a, a lower resolution cargo transporter. Yeah, a Tuvix type <laughs> of situation here. I mean, gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine? Half man, at, half dinosaur. Yeah, so weird. <laughs> Uh, so maybe that's what happened to the one we saw at the beginning of the comic. Maybe someone had tried to beam one of these jousters up before and that was the end result. (laughs) (laughs) So Kirk and, and, uh, company have attacked and he, with the communicator calls for a orbital phaser strike on full and nobody dies. No, no. Phasers (laughs) on stun. But then Scotty fires phasers on full. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, gotcha. With pleasure, Commander Ex- Suter, with okay, pleasure. Gotcha. So then something really crazy happens, and a new person shows up. and An old person. A CUDA shows up, and things get really strange. In fact, Kirk calls the Enterprise. Everybody up there is dead. Or asleep, or dun, something, dun, dun. and dun dun dun. The next issue, they're dead, Jim. On sale in thirty days. <laughs> so, I got to tell you guys, though, you know, you you thought the the wait over the summer for the best of both worlds part oh, two was tough. Just thirty days. That thirty days waiting for this next part to come out <laughs> was really really a difficult time yeah. for me. Okay, so this is actually where the comic does get pretty interesting because the whole issue um, with these comics is talking about the idea that Kirk made a mistake here in this episode of of interfering, that um, he had used the wrong judgment and he had used uh, his idea of what was right and wrong um, for these people. Uh, and placed his own morality on them and kind of botched everything up. And so the rest of the the issues uh, that we have are really going to be about that. And I thought that was actually a pretty interesting thing to have. I am with Drew, though. I got to say, the way these are laid out is really frustrating sometimes because it is hard to figure out who's talking and when you're supposed to be reading because they'll do – I mean, everybody's – there's so much text and there's so much crammed on the – on the page and it's so imprecise the drawing that i'm just lost in some places i had to read real carefully so and even when even when people aren't talking you know when conum's by himself or whatever and he's like oh no i've got to dodge this thing like instead of showing you know being able to show the action they have to describe it but i don't read many comics maybe that's something that happens a lot yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a definitely just a different aesthetic, you know, back in the 80s yeah. than it is now, for sure. Um, and there is a, a really big, um, you know, thrust in comics to have it be about not as much about the art as it is about everything else in a lot of ways. And so, um, yeah, the, the art here is, is lacking in a, and they're cramming too much on the page, um, which... Yeah, it's frustrating. So I also found it interesting with the art that they basically turn Akuta here, especially the second issue. He didn't look quite so much like this at the end of the first. And actually, at the end of the first issue, Akuta is the one who looks like Tarzan from Survivor. But this in the second one, they turn him into God, basically. Yeah, from Star Trek he, V. And, and it really reminds me of Star Trek V. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Noah. Yeah. No, he does not look like Russell Crowe. No. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but uh, so, 
but he's he's like floating in the air. He's, he's shooting he's lightning become bolts the and stuff. Supreme being. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. So, um, you know, Akuta shows up and he has these amazing powers. Apparently, he had learned a lot from Vol um, about what it m- meant to have this type of power. He had been trained by him. He was the one who was the one who was feeding Vol and keeping him going. And he is very angry, obviously, at Kirk for destroying their way of life. And I think you know it, it's it's kind of interesting because you can tell very early in this this issue that Kirk is already starting to think maybe he made the wrong decision here because everything that's happening to these people has just not turned out the way he thought. Well, it, this is movie era Kirk at a point where he is wiser than he was on the series and he does think about these things more. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was that's probably the thing that makes this, if, if there's a redemption to the story, it's that idea that that Kirk is fallible. He's, he's not perfect. Um, so they are all captured now. And again, yes, again, it happens a lot in this issue. Um, and Spock tells him, um, that, you know, he feels like they did make a huge mistake, uh, when they were here the last time. And Chekhov is all pissed off. It, it's Spock. How can you betray the captain? And Kirk's like, no, no, it's, it's fine. You know, um, Spock is, is free to have his opinion. I've, I've had many of my opinions have not been the same as command. And so it, it's okay for Spock to have a different point of view than mine. And he may be right. So, um, Chekhov is like the, the yes man in here, though, isn't he? he at one point, he actually says of Kirk, like, the decision you made in the apple, it was the only decision you could have possibly made. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you could have actually just left these people as they were and gone on your way. So what's really interesting here, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, they, they're, they're captured, they're having this conversation, and um, uh, their starship starts getting pulled out of the sky. Like the Enterprise is literally being pulled from the sky by this madman to the Earth. And, or to this planet and uh, and Spock is like no you, you can't do this you know Kirk's yelling at him you can't do this and Spock with his Vulcan strength he, he snaps off one of the restraints and says no I'll, I'll help you put Vol back in action just don't you know destroy the Enterprise There's the, you, we can do this without bloodshed and Spock you know um is definitely at least it seems like here is, is betrayed Captain Kirk and Kirk's like Spock you don't know what you're doing and do you know what you're doing and and I love Spock's reply which is at all times Captain and uh, of course <laughs> Chekhov's all I think he's totally lost it <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh gosh are you out of your Vulcan mind yeah yeah I would just so. Yeah, and then Spock just turns around to Kirk and he's just like, nerve pinch. Like, Kirk's still tied up and he's still like, <laughs> right. shut up. He does. He nerve pinches his captain while his captain is tied up. <laughs> yeah, you, and you never pinch and you never nerve pinch somebody when they're, you know, tied up. I mean, that's just not cool. Right. That's not in Kirk's guide. Yeah, right? no, that's like shooting somebody in the back. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Spock follows um, Akuda to um, the the place of Vol, where um, 
they fall down inside. And then, of course, we have this, we have to have the whole rumble in the jungle up, up on the ship where, um, you know, Big Bear Claw has to open his mouth and talk about all the things they should do. And Scotty has to put him in his place. And, um, and so, um, Kirk is still tied up. Um, and, Unlucky for him, they decide they're just going to burn Kirk at the stake. <laughs> yeah, they just pick up his stake and they just, like, throw him in the fire. Exactly. And luckily, Scotty has decided to take, uh, you know, racist Bear Claw's advice and beam down an entire landing party. And they save Kirk just in time before he just, you know, starts to burn up. And you know what doesn't help your comic where we can't tell who's who is put more people in helmets because then I have no idea who's who. Exactly. And did you guys notice that there's something about taking charge for Scotty that when he decided to make this move, he suddenly turned into Tom Selleck. Yes, he looks just like Tom Selleck. It's awesome. That's what it is. Yeah, Scotty... He looks Tom exactly Selleck. like Tom Selleck Great. here in the middle of this page. They couldn't find any pictures of 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 James well, Doohan in the appropriate position, so they just found a picture of. Well, of yeah, it's, on the previous page, Scotty has yellow hair, and then he makes this decision, and now he has completely different hairstyle and a big mustache, and he looks like Magnum PI. Yeah, it's hysterical. <laughs> Oh gosh! So with uh, Kirk finally freed, um, they make their way into Vol and into the caverns. They get attacked, of course, by some tentacle arms because that's what happens in in you know eighties comics. And th- it's living rock, Matthew. It, oh, well, oh, excuse me, living, living rock. rock. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then living they rock. end up where Spock has been merged with Vol's the computer Vol, and um, we're, we're left with. What's going to happen next? Is Spock going to die? Will we be able to save him? Yeah. And will we be saved the planet? We, we didn't, you didn't mention though, Drew, you mentioned putting people in helmets. What you didn't mention is what those helmets are. It says right here on this page, Scotty says, prepare for handling another landing crew of stormtroopers. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Stormtroopers. So apparently the Empire has uh, been yeah, sent Yeah, I did not like uh, that verbiage. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Stormtroopers yeah, here? Yeah. Apparently, Scotty's a Nazi. Because... I, or he's Darth Vader. Yeah. Or he's Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, we, we've we've seen him which take over the bridge before, and he's always trying to mutiny when Spock's in command, I imagine. Oh, he, yeah. Well, and what's really funny is Vader. that Vader was actually played obviously by Prouse, David Prouse, in the costume and he has that thick Welsh accent. So if you've ever heard oh. clips of Vader speaking before they've dubbed over him, it sounds hysterical. So that's what I picture James Doohan doing <laughs> as Vader. <laughs> like imagine that you know, with a with a Scottish <laughs> accent coming out of it. Commander, tear this ship apart until you find those plans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what happened to the plans, Lottie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Well, guys, before we move on from this page, now that they have Kirk upside down over the fire right here, can I just direct your attention to the the adjacent page that's full of ads in the middle? <laughs> 
you can get x-ray glasses for only a dollar fifty. That's impressive. Well, Kirk Kirk has those. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, that's it. That's actually in the guide to women. Make sure you have x-ray glasses. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. The, that 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 is actually not a, a page of the comic. I mean, that's not like an advertisement page. It's an actual page of the comic. Oh, okay. It's, it's from the guide yeah. that he gave the exactly. Malites when he left, and and that's right. an actual ad. Yeah. Send one sense. space dollar to, you know, the Ferengi, <laughs> and they'll send you some X-ray glasses. So really, what's uh, I think this is the most interesting part of the last comic. Is yes. is that it's it's actually a really simple story, in that somebody needs to basically merge with Vol to feed him, so that there's enough power in Vol to be able to set right the the planet, um, and it's really really convoluted and long. The fact that it takes so long for them to finally get to. Akuda being the one who ends up jumping in and merging and then banishing Kirk from the planet. I mean, this really could take three panels, and instead yeah. they spend a whole 19 pages for for nothing. I mean, they have Eric's learning the yeah. language of the beast that Kirk had beamed up oh, like yes. bones with, right. which makes absolutely no sense. It has nothing for the story. I don't get it. Like, Why? This is the part I call the beast ex machina. It's like, <laughs> we have to find out what's really going on here. Um, you know, A-Rex hasn't been in the story yet, but of course we all know that he's on the ship somewhere. <laughs> and so let's bring him in. He's now the linguistics officer and he's going to learn vacation. dinosaur language. Uhura's on <laughs> yeah, vacation. Right. Um, of course, this is movie era. So if Uhura had been there, she would have pulled out a giant <laughs> dinosaur printed dictionary. <laughs> To read about it. Dummy's Guide to Dinosaur Language. <laughs> right. But it felt really out of the blue here at the end that we still don't really quite know what's going on. I know A-Rex will talk to the beast that we beamed up with McCoy, and that beast will tell A-Rex what's actually going on on the planet. That's how they find out, right, that the whole planet is an artificial creation in the first place. And it has something to do with Sargon and... Sargon came, and these people are descendants of that. And yeah, I had to, I had to, I had to look all that up because it was just like, what? Because there's no, yeah, there's no asterisks and editor's notes to explain it. They're just well, that's like, from Return to Tomorrow. Well, it's because yeah. it wasn't in an earlier comic; it was from the TV series. If it had been in an earlier comic, then there would have been a box that said, like, as seen in DC twenty seven. Yeah. So, so basically, Sargon what, spreads what... his seeds. <laughs> So basically what this comic posits is that Val and and the people on that planet were from were actually a splinter group from the people who got wiped out from Return to Tomorrow. Apparently people had left and built Val to wipe their memories so that they wouldn't wipe themselves out again. And when Kirk destroyed Val he allowed them to start to wipe themselves out again. Like that they were predestined to wipe themselves out and they were trying to, I don't know. I still don't, I still don't think Kirk was wrong here. Well, I mean, you don't think Kirk was wrong. Okay. I, I'm, I think this, okay. I, I think that's probably what we should talk about. And then we'll wrap this up is, is 
you know, yeah. uh, do you go, do you side with Spock in, 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 in his desire to put Vol back in charge to keep these people from, um, you know, creating an, another situation where they end up with, uh, their own Armageddon again? Or do you side with oh, Kirk oh. that they should, they should be given free choice to, to choose their, their own path? We also have to mention that the planet was made by an alternative to the Genesis device. Which was very oddly thrown in. I I don't... Yeah, well, I I don't think they were saying that it was made... It it, it just had a similarity to what the the Federation had tried to do with a Genesis device, but there was actually no connection between the projects or anything like that. Yeah, it's not like Kirk's son traveled back in time and helped the return to tomorrow people <laughs> well i think right. though, yeah i think that what they were saying is that they were able to create a stable planet and right. terraform it and make it just the way they wanted whereas the federation hadn't been able to do that um and, and so uh that was just the only connection was that it they had been able to perfect that technology to create right. this planet which worked in concert with vol as well, so that it, you know, it could create this uh, place where people could live forever and, um, they would be you know, happy and. They made one very big error. They forgot to consult with Kirk to make sure he was okay with the plan. And so when he <laughs> encountered the planet, he decided that they didn't do it right. So he changed it and he took away Vol and then all hell broke loose. Which, how is he to know? That's my, that's my why I'm still think that Kirk well, and, is, yeah, is right. was right in the original episode. Is this like, oh, these people you haven't run into yet. Uh, this is them. This is an artificial planet without Vol. The planet's going to explode and they're going to wipe themselves out before that point. How is he supposed to know that? Like, that's their excuse now. Like, we need Vol. You made a mistake and... Spock's like, we need Val because you didn't know all the facts. Okay, well, Kirk yeah. may not know. But isn't it just because Kirk isn't following the prime directive? I mean, he's interfering with a, a species that it's not his position to do. That's the thing, yeah. Like, for me, my position on it is that he should, when he saw that planet, when he saw these people in the apple, he should have just left them as they were. Because just because you don't agree with how these people are living their lives or you don't agree, even if you find out like they're being controlled by some kind of dragon computer, it's still their planet and their society and their world. So you should just say, well, that's kind of weird and then and go on and leave them alone. It'd be like the Federation telling the Trill, you know, you can't, you know, join and have a symbiont because that's that's weird. Don't do that. You know, I, that, that's the thing that, um, I think in certain episodes, not all of them, but in certain episodes of TOS, you, people jump on Kirk for, uh, a, you know, just kind of throwing the prime directive out the window. Uh, actually the, the guys at mission log actually have a great t-shirt with the enterprise swooping away and the, the, the prime directive book flying out the window. 
which is awesome. <laughs> what? Awesome. Yeah, you can buy it on their website. It's fantastic. That's right. You can go to missionlog. Yeah. Um, I'm Wait not getting minute. paid for this. Um, so I think that's great because, but this, that's exactly what Kirk has done in the Apple episode, the original episode. And so that's where I think he made the mistake. He, it's not his place to decide. And, and a lot of ways I thought it was so interesting is that, you know, uh, original TOS is is not really about um, tolerance of other people uh, in other ways no, at all. It's just about what Gene Roddenberry thought was right. Um, and yeah, right. Um, I guess he had meddled out by the time he got to, to TO, TNG because he went way the other way and, yeah. you know, said whatever And that's not to, to say that there aren't good messages in TOS, but it's definitely... This is the right way to do right. things, and this is the right. wrong way to do things. It, yeah, and sometimes the right way to do things make great sense, and yeah, that that is how you should do it. But it but it does miss the tolerance point that I think we maybe sometimes I think Star Trek itself does uh, illustrate a, a a philosophy of tolerance as a whole, but TOS is really not, for the most part, does not uh, preach that message. Yeah, TOS, a lot of it seems like Roddenberry being, you know, I'm right, you're stupid for not agreeing with me. And and the Apple does feel like that. Like, you know, these people, they're, they don't have free will. They're just letting themselves be ruled by this computer, and that's stupid. We'll blow well, let's up. not forget, too, that the Apple is just a very transparent representation of the Garden of Eden and religion and that was the message there that, hey, you know, you don't need to be following a god anymore. You don't need to be following religion anymore. I'm going to take that away from you, is what Kirk does. I figured out one thing about these comics, though. The writer, Michael Carlin, I know who he is. He's the captain of that cleanup ship that trails <laughs> behind the Enterprise everywhere. And he finally had enough. And so he wrote this comic and he sent it back to 1987 just to to vent his frustrations with Kirk. Uh, that's really funny. <laughs> I actually actually did some research on the writer uh and and in in actuality he's the editor who came up with the idea of uh, killing off Superman to sell more comic books. Mm. Yeah, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, that was the it's still the best-selling comic ever and uh it was actually a pretty cool story even if you read it now it's it's a uh, you wouldn't think it, but it, it's a really interesting story. I'm now bringing Superman back. Not the best story ever, the way they did it, but the killing Superman thing was was pretty awesome. So, in all of this, l let's boil it down. Um, Drew, um, you know, reading through the comic, what do you what would you rate this comic? Well, it definitely was a lot better than what I imagined it was going to be when, when they mentioned it in that Iowa nine article about uh, it being a no win scenario for Kirk, which I still don't agree with the definition that he used. Uh, but it, I, it did make me think it, it made me think more than I expected from a comic, like, you know, with the dinosaur people shooting a dinosaur on the cover. Uh, it, it manages to tie into, you know, an animated series continuity, some movie continuity, um, 
and TOS continuity. I'm I'm interested in reading more of of these classic comics. I think. Uh, do do we rate these? Do we do? We oh like yeah, numbers. It's just just yeah. no, just kind of like yeah. uh, you might. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, oh, I, I, I mean, we, we give them ready room style ratings usually. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, well, I'll, I'll give it a three and a half racist Native Americans out of five. Oh, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Well, what about you, Chris? Uh, you know, just kind of talking through some of the silliness, but actually some of the the actual issues that we ended up kind of discussing at the end, which is you wouldn't think when we get that first first issue that we'd ever get something actually real. Right. I think it was was a fun thing to read because some of it is so ridiculous, but it is interesting how it does transform itself from what the hell's going on with this weird dinosaur at the beginning to an actual message that I think is worthy of the original series and is worthy of, of Star Trek at the end. And it's, it fits into continuity for Kirk, I think in the sense that as Kirk got older, we saw him start to actually take a more, balanced approach to things I I think than he did in the original series like you can tell that he actually regrets the actions that he took like I think if you took movie era Kirk and you put him in all of those original series episodes I guess the episodes would actually be less entertaining because he wouldn't make all the decisions that he makes he wouldn't necessarily go in in a taste of Armageddon and blow up the computer so these two planets can fight each other with real weapons you know, he wouldn't blow oh. up Landrew. Well, that, that'd be nice. I don't so, like getting blown up. <laughs> so it fits in there. Well, I, I think they did get to a decent point, although there's still weird stuff in here. Um, with We talked about A-Rex and the linguistics with the beast and, and all this stuff. But it's these these old comics are just fun to read, I think. You know, we can't really approach them in the way that we approach some of the newer comic series and fun to discuss. I'm going to give this three gigantic floating heads. And the thing that I wondered here at the end, what I want to see is I want to see giant floating head Spock, giant floating head Akuda, who comes in here at the end, the uh, the giant floating head from And the Children Shall Lead, plus God from Star Trek V. I want to see those <laughs> those having like a giant floating head poker night somewhere that's and the yeah. big giant head from third the rock from the sun played yes. by william shatner. william shatner there you go that's an awesome idea um <laughs> you know i going through this uh and reading through this i i didn't you know after the first issue i didn't expect this to go anywhere um where i'd i'd want to think that it was worth reading <laughs> i was like oh gosh <laughs> um but but actually getting to the conversation about you know whether Kirk had made the right decision or not and the way it played out. And, and I thought it was interesting, Chris, you know, you made the, the point that this was the original episode is, is really a, a dig at um, the garden of Eden and the idea of meeting God and all of those things. And yet this comic completely turned that on its head and almost said, well, who are you to decide and who are you to play God and say that there isn't one or that there isn't a reason for the way things are. 
And, and so to twist the argument back around, I thought was actually really fantastic. The comic is still ridiculous. Um, but regardless, th- what it's actually saying is something really interesting. And so therefore, I would rate this six and a half out of ten harem Nancys, um, because I, I think it's, it's definitely worth, uh, your time reading if you can find it. Um, some great, interesting ideas. So, uh, and plus, hey, we got to have, uh, our TOS editor on the show. So. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Drew. I hope that you had fun talking comics with us today. Did, you and Tristan will have to get together and compare notes on a comic episodes of literary treks now. Yeah, definitely. Keep me involved. Although I, I think that, well, I don't know if I can say that or not. I was going to say, I think that, that your comics here, TOS ones were more ridiculous than the Voyager ones, but I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that just because of the issue that we end up with uh, and, and what we yeah. actually got to talk about. We didn't actually get to talk about any of that stuff in the Voyager comics. So, And if anyone wants to listen to that episode, I think it's number 17 of Literary Treks. I do remember the title, though. The title is Tuvok's Remedial School for Badasses. <laughs> That's such a great title. <laughs> <laughs> which I think this Klingon here needs to go there, get some lessons. It is episode uh, 17, and I just yeah. downloaded it. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, Drew, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, uh, one on the network and around the web? Well, they can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. They can also find me on Standard Orbit with Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. And where we talk about the original series and how awesome it is. Very good. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Drew. Yeah, no problem. Well, Matthew, that was a riot. I, I hope listeners enjoyed us taking them through this old comic. It's one of those comics, unlike the IDW things that we do, where we can tell you where you can go pick them up easily and you can read them. It's one of those that's not quite so easy to get your hands on. Of course, we have it because of that DVD that has all the old Star Trek comics in PDF format. They're difficult to read, but at least that's a way for you to get your hands on them. Yeah, it, you know, Chris, it's fun whenever we pull one of these out and um, just review the crap out of it. I mean, because <laughs> um, <and laughs> I really just feel like that's what we did. Um, and, and it, yeah, the, the first issue is really silly and funny and there's a lot of crazy things going on, but it was actually so interesting that we got somewhere that it's actually trying to say something. And, um, I think that's the neat thing that about any medium, you know, uh, with any story is, um, you can say something really interesting in, in, in any kind of form. And, uh, it's just about, uh, whether or not you can get your point across and, uh, surrounded by all the craziness was, was actually something that was worth discussing. And so, uh, if you can find that DVD, it's, it's definitely worth it. Chris and I, um, have gotten, uh, one plenty of laughs out of it, but we've also gotten some good discussion. So it, it was great as well to have Drew on for the first time. And I'll be excited to have him back, uh, soon actually when we do some, um, lost era books. So definitely. Yeah. The DVD is called like the complete Star Trek comics or something like that. I don't remember the exact name off the top of my head, but if you go search uh, Star Trek comics DVD on Amazon, you know, it'll come up and usually you can get it for a pretty good price. 
Well, this isn't the only thing we've been talking about, Matthew, on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. The Enterprise. Because if you break it down, you've got a flying saucer with rockets. It's everything that he was trying to avoid, but it's so much more than that. He found a way to make a flying saucer with rockets make sense. Earl Grey. Encounter at Farpoint. The alien ship is literally shooting at and killing colonists on the planet, and he's like... I haven't had my talk to talk with Beverly yet. The Ready Room. Star Trek continues. Even on just seeing a corridor wall, you'll see, like, there's just a slash of of red against the wall. <laughs> that That's a stylistic choice that they were making in, in that era. So Matt has a great eye while we're shooting a scene. The Orb. The Full NDS-9. It, it's a milestone in the Cliff Bowl directing of Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. Defiant marks the final non-appearance of Sirach Lofton in a Cliff Bowl directed episode. To the journey! Innocence Rewrite. We'll use a deflector dish to emit a tachyon beam, fire a few photon torpedoes, blow up the anomaly of the week, and then we'll just fly off into space like we do at the end of every week. Commentary, Trek stars. Remembering Cliff Bull with Larry Nemechek. But the, the thing about Cliff personally was, um, that I'll always remember and it comes through in this transcript, he's a pretty plain spoken guy. And he would call a spade a spade. And uh, how, how, what's your rating on this podcast? Are you pretty much up to... Uh... Warp 5. Prequel design. Or just, you know, for the sake of the actor. So they felt like, in the design people, they felt like this was a real place that um, people would believe. And I, I just really appreciate that. Literary Treks. John Jackson Miller, Absent Enemies. And, and of course, the, the, you know, the larger thing about the whole phasing thing is it allowed me to tell a, a story that I think had a, a, a Star Trek feel to it, uh, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, the issue of war and peace. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab the shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us on these comics, on TOS, or anything that we talked about in news today, you can do that in several ways. You can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose Literary Treks, and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show, about Star Trek, about books and comics, anything you want to discuss. And in social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And you'll find us on Twitter under username trek.fm. Now, Matthew, when you're not trying to figure out the best way to take down a giant dinosaur, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Um, you can also find me doing The Orb with you every week where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And lastly, you can find me on my own personal website at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Uh, now, Chris, when you're not trying to look up different ways to pick up women with Kirk's Guide to Women, uh, where can we find you? <laughs> 
There's a lot of interesting techniques in there, I have to tell you. It's very true. <laughs> yes. Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you'll find me every week on the ready room with other hosts from all across the network, as well as special guests as we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series. You'll also find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. And then I have my own interview show as well called Matter Stream. So check all of those out if you're interested. Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks online. They have more than 150,000 titles. There's something waiting for you no matter what your interests are. Be sure to pick up Star Trek Memories and Movie Memories, which we talked about in news today. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get either of those books absolutely free, along with a 30-day trial to try out Audible. And the way you do that is just to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that audiobook. So there's absolutely nothing to lose, but your support of Audible does help us bring literary treks to you every week. So again, go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and try it out today. Get your free audiobook. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. One more thing you can do to help us keep literary treks coming to you is to make a donation to the network. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find different contribution levels, as well as original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. You can get those as badges or as art prints. And your contributions help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So we really thank you for your support in helping us keep literary treks going. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. We've got a comic, and it's cover, and we're going to judge it, because that's what we do. Oh, we're going to have, we can put out a whole album of your judge a book by its cover songs. <laughs> It'd be a fundraiser for Trek FM. <laughs> Nobody would pay for that. <laughs> Oh my god. It'll be like James Darren's This One's From the Heart cover, but it's you. It says This one's for the cover. This one's for the cover. <laughs> I've That'd got you on my cover. Alright. And I'm gonna judge you. Cause that's what I do. You're on the cover and I've got to see. If you're sufficiently cool for me.